Welcome to Advancing the Conversation with Dr. Christy Carnahan and Dr. Kate Doyle from the University of Cincinnati's Special Education Department. I'm Ashley Barla, your host. We started this podcast in an effort to have real conversations about the role of self-determination in all our lives, specifically in supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. If you're a teacher, a person interested in becoming a teacher, a parent, a sibling, or a person with a disability, this podcast is for you. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we learn about the role of self-determination in our lives. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your work and your history and the good stuff you've got going on? Of course. So my background is as a speech-language pathologist. I have been in the field for five years now. I started out at an outpatient clinic up in Dayton called Synergy Family Therapy, and I treated a wide variety of patients there. We saw mostly kids and adults with developmental disabilities. So I was there for three years, and I learned a ton. And then I just wanted to be closer to Cincinnati because that's where I live. And so I was working at the Cincinnati Center for Autism for a couple of years. And then I moved on to the Down Syndrome Association of Greater Cincinnati, and I'm the young adult coordinator there. And then I'm working as a speech pathologist at Impact right now, too. And then I also, I have a sister who has cerebral palsy. And so that is a big thing that's affected my work and why I do what I do, but also why I love what I do. It's so fun to be able to learn things and be able to help her. That's super cool. Is your sister nearing or at adult age? She is 40 years old. That's awesome. So it's lots of different things to think about now. Yeah. And I'm sure that shapes your kind of view on self-determination, which is okay. our big topic here on the podcast. Why don't we start with that? Can you tell us, generally speaking, how you would define self-determination in your own words? I think self-determination is learning to take control of your own life and making decisions to be able to live your life the way that you want to live it. Oh, I love that. That's quick and easy. I love it. So it's so simple. Stephanie, let's talk about the impact of speech and language on self-determination because you view many things through the lens of speech and language. So what, how do speech and language impairments and difficulties impact self-determination? And then of course, what tools can we provide or concentrate on in order to facilitate more self-determination? I think that when thinking of communication and self-determination, that's the main way that I think people are able to get across what they want to do in their lives is communicating it with us. And so for those people who have difficulty with communication or don't have any means of communication currently, we can, I think it almost get a look that they have input on what they want to do in their lives. And so I think that finding a way to get them communication. Once you get that, you learn so much more about them and what they want to do. That is something that has been huge for my family is that my sister, and she's still working on using augmentative communication, but for the first 36, 37 years of her life, she didn't have any means of communication. For us, knowing when she was happy, she was squealing and laughing and clapping. And when she was frustrated, she was crying, she was biting herself. And so we didn't have any means of communication. And so 
it was hard to find things that she liked and it's we didn't know really what she wanted to be doing and so I think it got overlooked not by my parents didn't do anything wrong they didn't know any better and that's a huge thing that I want to make sure that everyone knows that you can only like if you don't know what to do then you're doing the best that you can and so I think a big thing is that she just got into the habits of doing what everyone else does and so recently we've started to give her more choices for things and she's so much happier and it's crazy how much of a difference it makes where she feels like she has some control over life and for her it's simple things like which movie does she want to watch and so holding them out and she's very tactilely defensive so she's not going to reach out and touch it but she'll look over at it for a second and that's how you but so I think that a big thing is if they don't have communication, that doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say. And so making sure that you can find some way to read and make sure that you're including them in those decisions, even if it's something as simple as figuring out what they want to watch that day. I love that you said that she's 40 and until three years ago, there was, she had almost no communication. Because I think what people forget is that it's not ever too late. Yes, that's, and the technology has come so far that when she graduated school, they told my parents, okay, she is where she is. Like she can go to a day program and everything. And I'm so glad that I ended up in this field. And I started seeing uh, some patients with cerebral palsy and learning that, wait a second, there's, she could do this stuff. And so that's what it's really opened my parents' eyes to realizing that we have come so far in technology since she was 22 and left school. And there's so much more that we can do now. And so. That is a big passion of mine is trying to get those adults who haven't been getting speech for so long to get involved back into that now. And I think the grace too, the caregiver, caregiver grace that's so involved. I agree with Christy. That hit me because she's got a sister that's a speech language right. pathologist and you're continuing to develop new strategies mm -hmm. and continuing to think about ways that you can make communication more accessible to her and that she can more self-determined in her life. And I think that's really beautiful. I'm sure your parents appreciate you continuing to have that growth mindset as part of the team. Yes, it's been. I'm so glad that I am where I am in the field because it. I can't imagine for other families, it's so hard to navigate this world of knowing what to do. And so I, it's been very helpful that I've had this career. Stephanie, what are some, I think you mentioned there is just that You've graduated high school and now, you know, go live your life. And we, we recognize that a large portion of adults are graduating out of communication system. And there isn't always the expertise in the adult world. And you really, I didn't know that about you mm -hmm. and your sister. That was it's really amazing and explains a lot of how passionate you are in the work that you're doing. What are some strategies you've used with colleagues in terms of thinking about besides the importance of communication or strategies you might recommend to families? I think one thing is that usually for people with complex communication needs, you're not going to find one system that's going to be able to work for everything. Sometimes it's as easy as holding your hands up and saying that this hand is going to be for this choice and this hand is going to be for the other one. And, and then giving, asking them which one they want and just looking for them to touch your hand or whatever. So I think it's, you really have to get creative and just remember that anything that we're doing, if I'm asking you to write something, and I want you to be able to have some control over it. We're doing this activity because this is what the plan is for the day. But I want you to have some control over it. 
I'm going to ask you what color you want to write with. And so holding up two choices and letting them choose that. I think the more input you get from the people that you're working with, the more they're going to respect you and the more they're going to want to do what you're asking them to do. So I think any chance that you get to ask for their opinion that you're going to get better buy-in with those activities. So I think getting creative, holding up choices, writing down choices, depending on the individual's reading level is also a good option. So I think that the natural follow-up is, and this is really obvious to those of us that preach this every day, but the natural follow-up then is, what do you want school teams to know about this topic? That's, I think, just understanding that each person has their own opinions and trying to incorporate those wherever you can. I think that what I've learned, I starting out as a speech pathologist, I go in there with this plan. I create all these materials and activities and I get there. The first thing the kid or adult does is they like rip up the paper. Okay, we're not doing this today. And so just remembering that they have input and what just because the session doesn't go the way that I want it to go, it's probably better if it goes the way that they want it to go. I'm going to get more out of it. The outcomes are going to be better. And so I think just trying to put the ball in their court whenever we can, getting their opinion on what they want to be doing. And then also just taking what they say for what it is. I think there's so many times that we ask a question and we get an answer that's, whoa, that's not what I was expecting. But I've seen so many professionals who are like, oh, that's not what they meant. I'm like, but maybe it is. So we had an adult the other day where we were talking about a book and someone had died. And I was, we asked, oh, have you ever had someone in your family that died? And one of the associates said, yeah, my grandpa. And then we asked, like, how did that make you feel? And he said, happy. And everyone was like, no, you weren't happy. And I asked him, like, hey, take a step back. We don't know the relationship that him and his grandpa had. Who are we to say that maybe he wasn't happy? Maybe he was happy when this happened. And so trying to take what they say for what it is and find a way that it can really, I think that's really important. There are going to be factual things that we can help provide cueing and prompting to return that to whatever the question was. But I think that those opinionated questions really take what they're saying for what it is and find a way to relate it back to what the question was. I think the work you're doing now, whether it's at UC or through the Down Syndrome Association is really powerful. So I'm just, I think it would be great for you to talk a little bit about that, whichever one, really, whichever one you prefer or a little bit about both maybe. Yeah, so at Impact right now, we are working on building some of the communication interventions. And so I have been helping out with just training the staff members and also some like PhD students to help lead these communication. And, and then I also have two speech grad students that are helping. So we are focusing on book club and a texting intervention. And we're just working on really, I think my big thing has been the engagement level, which definitely brings at that self-determination that if the associates aren't engaged in what we're doing, they're not going to get anything out of it. We have to give them some say in what they're doing and make sure that they're interested in it because as soon as they stop paying attention, then we're not getting, we're not able to get what we need out of it. So I think what I've really been doing is training other people on how to use some of these communication strategies. And what I'm saying, what I've been saying is letting them know that they, making sure that they have choices in what they're doing, 
making sure that we're getting their opinions, that we're taking what they say. Another thing that happened was we asked a question and the question is, what would you see in the sky? And someone said skyline. And they went to the restaurant page of their AAC device to say skyline. And they're like, no, you wouldn't see skyline in the sky. And I'm like, yeah, you would. You would see like you could see a city skyline. And so just helping them to realize that there's different ways to communicate. And just because the same word can mean multiple things. And so that's really what I've been focusing on at Impact at the Down Syndrome Association as a young adult coordinator. My big project this year is we have had an independent living retreat. I think we've had it for almost 15 years now. And so our adults with Down syndrome will go stay on a college campus for a weekend. And then we are working on independent living skills. We've done things on growth mindset. So helping them come up with goals and things that they want to achieve. We've really focused um, on building connections with other people. I feel like a lot of them feel isolated, especially coming out of COVID. And so helping them make connections. And one thing we hit hard was that just because someone else has Down syndrome doesn't mean you have to be friends with them. You should be nice to them, but that doesn't mean you have to be friends. And so that's something that we really worked on was letting them talk about who, what the kind of person that they want to be friends with is, and then helping them find those people. We did a, like, we called it quick connections. It was a version of speed dating where they got to talk to everyone. And then at the end, they circled whether that was someone they were interested in being better friends with or not. And we let them know that it's okay. I have friends that I work with, but that doesn't mean I hang out with them every weekend outside of work. So that was one of the fun things we did at the retreat. But what we are finding is that the families were using it as respite, which is definitely needed. This was the first time this past year that a lot of those families have been away from their adult children since COVID started. So those families needed that. But I want to know what the next step is. So how can we actually get them to living on their own if that's what they want to do? And so this coming year, we are doing something where we're going to give them an opportunity to stay in an Airbnb for the weekend so they can really feel what it would be like living on their own. And we take out all the planning of it and put it back onto them so that they get to choose the kind of activity that they want to do. They have to learn how to, if you're not right next to the grocery store, how are you going to get there? Are you taking an Uber? Are you taking the bus? And that's been the big thing that I'm working on this year, just because I feel like we have so many adults who are ready for that. And there's various reasons why they're not. Is it because they don't have the funding for it? Is it because that there's one transportation piece that's holding them back? And my goal is really, is if we have adults who are wanting to live on their own, how can we get them there? Because I think that just you can live such a more meaningful life if you're making those choices and getting out away from your parents can be very liberating. Stephanie, just when I thought the independent living retreat couldn't get any better, you (laughs) took it to an Airbnb. This is amazing. It's going to be so much fun. I'm very excited. Super exciting. I I have a question that might not follow our natural aggression here, but it's really about how, and you touched a little bit about post-COVID, or I think we're maybe in a pseudo post-COVID world right now in the fall of 2022 when we're recording this. And my question is, how are anxiety and executive functioning getting in the way of people's ability to communicate their wants and needs? And what can we do? I'm thinking about... Our pre-service teachers in our audience, 
and our in-service teachers in our audience that are saying, I can work on communication skills and I can utilize technology and I can do all of those things. But my, I know that my students want to make friends, but their anxiety is really getting in the way of their ability to make friends and to make choices for themselves and their executive functioning skills. Can they organize themselves or can they even like shift from independent work to a conversation? I'm seeing that a lot in my special education practice. And I'm certain that you're seeing it with the young adults and adults with whom you work. That's a great question. And that is a big thing that's come up. Another thing we're doing at the Down Syndrome Association is we just started speech groups for adults with Down Syndrome. So we have 16 individuals who we have two different groups of eight people who come and it's led by grad students. But that is a huge thing that we've seen is that anxiety and fear. And so I can tell you, we've been referring counseling more than I ever have before to get that mental health component involved, but also just meeting them where they're at and pushing them a little bit at a time. And so starting by, okay, well, you want to answer this question to the group. Do you want me to get the group's attention or do you want to get the group's attention? And just that little piece where, oh, if I get the group's attention, then you're more than willing to say it versus them just shutting down and like when it comes to their turn or when it, they have something to say. And so I think just pushing them a little bit at a time to ease them back into these opportunities, I think that's been a huge thing for us. And just also trying to ask them how they're feeling about it. That's what just opening up that conversation so that we know exactly what they're thinking. Some of them is, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. I'm like, I feel that all the time. I'm always scared that I'm going to say the wrong thing and someone's going to think something. But people forget that stuff. And so that's what we're constantly reminding them that it's okay to make mistakes. This is a safe place. And so I think just easing them back into things, but pushing them a little bit at a time. One of, one of the favorite parts of my week, truly the highlights involves Kate and Stephanie. And we have these research meetings where we're talking about communication intervention. And this has been a major topic. So we're working on developing a texting intervention. So people who have really limited verbal language are learning to use touch chat, which is a communication app and the texting app on their phone to send texts to people. And Steph and I got a text this morning from the director of one of the programs. And it was just that one of the individuals in the program sent an unprompted text that was completely appropriate. And it just said, good morning to someone who was not a paid staff member. It's not someone that it was just a friend, somebody who is just a friend. And it was just like this big celebration. And what I love about it is it, this intervention, and this is just like the nerdy aspect of me, you know what I mean? I could live my life in this space. But the intervention isn't just a communication intervention. It's, a, and it, it's an executive function intervention. It is literally teaching people how to slow down and think and organize their thoughts and communicate with other people, share something about their own life. And to me, like I think, uh, again, like in my early research, it was all about like literacy interventions and reading comprehensions for kids with autism specifically. But that's really what we were seeing in that. Those projects was that they were executive function interventions, and that is true here. And it's that when we teach communication, it is building executive function. So like just by doing some of those interventions, I think was that we help decrease anxiety 
by and build executive function and build relationships. It's like, you need to try it. Oh. Yeah. Were- Inadvertently took off the texting piece. A, it gave them time to plan and think. And it took out navigating some of the social nuances <laughs> of interaction. You know what I mean? So many people on the spectrum, I'm like very loud and I have very big facial expressions. And they'll be like, that's really distracting to me when I'm trying to like really hear what you're saying, which is great feedback. I try to tone myself down, but it takes out that piece of me, right? In the messaging, right? Because often I am just saying, how was your weekend? And did you go see that new movie? But they're just focused. Some people are like, I'm just focused on how loud you are. So it just, give space for us to still have that communication and take out some of the anxiety they may have around some of the sensory components or just processing piece. So they think that was an unintended consequence that has been really great within this intervention. And I've got something to add from the parent's perspective as well. Stephanie was talking earlier about how communication, we have to take what the speaker says at its face value. Um, And so my own son, who's only 12 years old, but struggles with anxiety and executive functioning, getting in the way of communication, we have a button on his talker that says something to the effect of, I don't want to talk right now, but at least that's more polite than what he says expressively. And so it's helping him to work on his relationships, his social skills, and it's brutally honest, but it is more polite to the listener than what he would say expressively. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I was programming something into his, into his touch chat that was not super respectful, not super pleasant at least, but allowed him an opportunity to basically say, I have a trouble with shift and, and I'm not there right now. And so I don't know, Stephanie, if you want to talk about that idea too and what Kate just said. For sure. I think a big thing is that I have to remind a lot of my grad students that sometimes our adults will say things and it is rude. And the same thing that this actually happened at my old job where we had I had a teenage boy. I think he was like 14 and he was trying to elope. He was trying to leave the room. And I went up and I gave him his words. And I asked, I said, if you want to leave, you can ask me to leave. And the teacher looked at me and she's like, no, he can't leave. I said, that doesn't mean the answer is going to be yes but he still has the right to ask for it. And so we can't just teach them to say the things that we want them to say. We have to look at what their body language is telling us in that moment. And I would rather him use the words to say leave than try to pull a staff member aside to get to the door. And so I think that is something huge that we should, I mean, that professionals, families, everyone should know is that we're teaching them to communicate what their bodies are showing us that they want to say. It's not just what we want them to say. There's a funny like speech pathology meme or shirt or something that says, we teach them to talk. We can't promise what they'll say. If they start cussing after we work on communication, I didn't teach them that necessarily. But if that's what they have to say, what they have to say. I always work with, oh, when I work with teachers, I and I love teaching social skills. It's one of my favorite things. And I laugh because I have three boys. I never thought I'd have three boys. And I think the universe gave me that to watch how young men interact. And we do a disservice, right? Yes. To some boys, when we teach them to go up and be like, hi, can I play with you? Because boys punch each other. They fart. They belch as means of gaining interaction. And that's what we need to teach our other boys. 
Like you don't walk up and say, hi, do you want to go down the slide? It just makes them even more isolated than they may already be. So I always say, just go watch the age group that you are going to be intervening on and you will learn so much, but we need ecologically valid interventions for kids. Actually, that's what my son, who's 13, says to me, I don't want to talk right. A lot. He does. Yeah. Say, my 13-year-old probably uses the same language you're says. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. Yeah, it is. But it's also self-determination. It is. In its very best form. Yes. And it's okay for us to set boundaries, like Stephanie said. We don't have to always honor it. We can't always honor it. But it is. We can't take away their voice because that is the tool. That is the way they learn to set boundaries with other people. And as adults, we want them to set boundaries. All of our kids, it doesn't matter if they have a disability or not. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I got tears in my eyes as we just all came to that final conclusion. It all comes right to that pinnacle. Stephanie, we like to end with a little bit of fun. So we've got a series of questions that are not necessarily related to self-determination, but they can be. So the first one is, what are you watching right now? I hate to admit it, but I've been watching Love is Blind. I enjoy some good trash TV. <laughs> Anybody else have any trash TV? Oh, yeah. I've just been watching that. Oh, shoot. It's based in Charleston, Southern Char. So trenchy. I tried that one. That's good for laundry folding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you're on the treadmill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stephanie, what about listening to? Are you listening to anything good? I don't really listen to podcasts that much. I've just, my go-to on Spotify is there's a playlist called Chill Hits. And I feel like I just put that on throughout the day usually. Chill Hits, like it helps mm -hmm. you chill out. It's hit yep. on. I'm writing that down. I, that's mm -hmm. what I need in my life. I am listening to Daisy Jones and the Six, an audiobook. Oh, good. It's so good. I've it's read that so one. Good. So good. It's narrated by real actors. Zach, oh, really? Rat, one of them, I think. He was yeah. in Scrubs, right? It is. So, that book is so good. Don't yeah. To hear the music. I'm like, give me the, I need to hear the songs. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would make the audiobook even better. But it's very, I'm very much enjoying it. I love character development like that. And then what are you reading, Stephanie? I'm reading Regretting You by Colleen Hoover right now. I've been on a big Colleen Hoover kick. See. And I've read a lot of her books recently. Me too. What are you reading, Kate? You were always yeah. reading. I did. I just, well, I read several witch books in, in October, mm -hmm. I think I alluded to. And then I just read a book called 40 Roses. The 40 Roses, it is in my top 10 books of all time. It's a historical fiction with a really strong female lead, which are always my favorite. So it's excellent. I was, <laughs> I started following the author on Instagram and she followed me back which was like really a highlight of my life. And I sent her a message, which I've never done before. I was like, I love your book. And she was so flattered I sent it. So it just really was the highlight of my week. Yeah. What's it about? It is about a female-run gang in the 1920s in England. It is, I, could, I read it in a day. I couldn't put it down. I hope it's a movie. It was phenomenal. Oh, good. Christy, what are you reading? Actually, so... Kate started this little Facebook group where people just post what they're reading. And I like it because it's not a national group. So you get like a little bit more personalized kind of things. So I'm not, I just picked up a book and I think it's called the Hot Widows Club or something yeah. like that. And it is, it's somebody who has a podcast is, I just started it list. And it's actually good. I don't have any immediate death in my family right now. 
but it's just a night it's a it's really easy read and it's also helps you think about how you interact with people who have lost in their life uh, but it's also a light read it's like not that heavy and then i all the books kate just said i have on I'm waiting for it to come through from the library because they're all, there's a wait for all of it. I have a lot of books if anyone ever needs any to borrow. That's like my pride and joys. I love lending out my books for other people to read. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Of course. Thanks to you guys for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Stephanie. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. If you are interested in learning about the University of Cincinnati's special education, undergraduate or graduate programs, please visit us at online.uc.edu backslash special education. If you are interested in learning more about our programs for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, please visit cech.uc.edu backslash ATS. We'd love to hear from you please send us an email at advancetheconversation at uc.edu.